Shallowy driving it toward the back post for Zussi, who puts it back across, and Shelton slots it home! Zussi can have a hit from here, he does, and Graham Zussi re-elect! Graham Zussi! Shallowy knocks it in! The Hungarian assassin has given Sporting KC the lead! It's Russell! This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And by Casey's own CBD American Shaman. Score yourself free samples of great all-natural CBD products at a CBD American Shaman near you. CBD American Shaman. Everything is better with the feather. Now your host, Nate Bucati. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810, WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content. We always thank you for liking, subscribing, downloading, telling your friends, sending a pigeon, whatever you need to do to let people know about this show and let them know that we're presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. If you watch the show, you can tell that it's not a full show today because usually there's three of us here. We have Allie to my left and Jacob to my right. Allie's not here right now because as we tape this, she is in Salt Lake City uh, getting ready to work for the United States women's national team as they play Columbia on this Tuesday night. She's going to be doing the in-stadium entertainment just like she did uh, for the United States men's national team here against Uruguay. So congratulations, Allie. Uh, we know you're going to be listening to this podcast on your flight home to make sure you didn't miss any news and information about the team. But of course, uh, well-deserved there. We know Allie's going to do a tremendous job out there. She's No one's got more energy maybe outside of Hartzell Gray, I guess, uh, and, you know, for soccer in, in Kansas City. So she's going to do awesome out there. Yeah, excited for her. Um, she was great, obviously, at the games here. And, I mean, we see her all the time. We know how great she is. So mm-hmm. you know that, Allie. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know. But also, and, you know, the fact she's going to do it for the women's national team, that's what really, uh, you know, inspired yep. her as a soccer fan, as a kid. She was a big Mia Hamm fan. We've seen the jersey and all that. So now she gets to go work. A U.S. Women's National Team game. That's a big-time bucket lister for her. So we're really happy for Allie Trost. Coming up on the show, we're going to be joined by Sporting Kansas City Director of Communications, Kurt Austin. And there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with him. We'll get to know his path and journey through the club. I think he's got some really interesting stories to tell about his time with the club. And we'll also talk about his involvement with the World Cup bid. He's been very busy with that. Some inside information maybe that you haven't heard before about what went into that process and what's coming up next now that we've got four years to get ready for the World Cup coming to Kansas City. Um, So we'll also recap this past week for Sporting KC, and we'll look ahead to a big game coming up against the New York Red Bulls on the 3rd of July. Big holiday weekend coming up. And I know Jacob Peterson, you're a big 4th of July guy, you know, so uh, that, that'll be, you got big plans for the 4th itself, you know, do you, do you guys have to work? I assume you have to work. It's the day after a game. I don't know if you get the day off or not, but. Actually, you know, my wife and I were just talking about that last night and I do not know the answer. So I have to figure out if, if we have that day off. Uh, I hope we do. I'm glad though that sporting are playing in last year. I think it was where they were up in Canada which yeah. made no sense to me <laughs> as a 4th of July. Yeah. To, I get yeah. July, I think it's July 1st is what 
Canadians celebrate Canada Day. I've been in Canada for Canada Day one time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it was created uh, like ten years ago, so I don't know how real that is. But Fourth um, of July for us, it, it means a lot to me. It always has. You know me. I, I like to go all out. I like to get my whole get up. My, yep. my so do you. I know respect to, to your outfits <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of my favorite holidays. So it, it, I'm excited. Like I said, I'm excited that there's a game too because that kind of. It, that's what Fourth of July kind of means to me now, because for so long I played games uh, on the Fourth or that weekend of the Fourth. So, it, it, if you can't be out on the lake somewhere, come to Children's Mercy Park uh, on July third because it's going to be a good one. And there's going to be a lot of red, white, and blue on the field when you think about the color schemes of Sporting Kansas City and the New York Red Bulls. So it's going to be a patriotic affair all the way around. And something that I learned about, and I and I. I meant to ask Kurt Austin about this. Um, we we uh, need to get more information on, but uh, they're going to be they're going to do a, be doing a naturalized citizen ceremony at Children's Mercy Park, and the Kitman's wife is one of those. Uh, Mike Flaherty's wife is uh, is going to become a natural. She has officially become, and they're going to do the ceremony before the game. And to me, what a patriotic moment that is for people that have come to this country and put in, gone through all the things that it takes to become a, a full citizen. Oftentimes when I talk to people that have gone through that process, I think they might appreciate being American even more than, than those of us that were just born here because of all the things they had to do to earn it. And I think that's really cool. That's going to be happen at Children's Mercy Park on Sunday. It's awesome. Anytime you could see that, you know, we've had uh, other members of the staff or other mm-hmm. you know, players and their families do that. And, and you know, to me, those, those are, hate to use it, those are real Americans. Those are Americans yeah. who want to be here to, to go through the process. Um, so it's awesome to see. Um, yeah. And it's exciting. So it's going to be fun. We'll get to the game itself with the Red Bulls a little bit later on in the show. Let's take a look back, though, first at what happened over the past week. And out here today at training, I spoke with Andreu Fontas and Caden Pierre and Peter Vermees. And I asked Fonti and Peter in specific as, as veteran members of this organization how you process a week like this past week, because obviously nobody likes to lose 3-0, which is what happened in the game in Seattle. But that was at the end of a, a, a long, important week that also included going to a very difficult place to play, a place where nobody had won before in Nashville and getting a big win and then coming home and advancing to the semifinals of a knockout competition for a major trophy in convincing and beautiful fashion. Um, but then the last part of that was that that 3-0. And, and Fonte and, and, and Peter both said to me, look, yeah, we're not happy about the result in, in Seattle. But we're happy with the week. We feel like we got three points on the road. We did advance in a big competition. How, how, do, how do the t- and, and, and also, I would say, even, Jacob, did you feel like there were things within the game in Seattle that the team can still look at and say, there is still something that's going in the right direction, the arrows pointed in the right direction here? Well, I think I will echo what, what they said in that you tell me going into that week, you're on the road in Nashville, on the road in Seattle, two very difficult places to go. And then you have that midweek, probably the most important game, the biggest game at home, yes, against the lower division side. But if you tell me you get three points and you advance in the Open Cup, I I would have taken that. I think that that's, yes, of course, all the players and and the coaching staff and everybody want to get six points and to move on. But realistically, that's a good week. And and I was saying this, talking to to some people in in the office earlier, but, you know, it's funny, I think, 
let's say you go and tie in Nashville and tie in Seattle and still win there. You know, maybe that narrative's even like, oh, two results uh, on the weekends and then you advance. Well, those are that's only two points. Yeah, you have and one so, fewer point. So yeah. really, I, I mean, I think that that's a positive. And, and you mentioned it, but the performance in Nashville was excellent, I thought. Defensively, didn't really cr- give up anything uh, to Nashville. And then as the game wore on, you could sense the frustration. And you were on the call and we talked about it, but it was just a good road performance, exactly what you want to go do. And then to come back and to recycle and to attack that Open Cup game and play, yes, again, lower division team. Sporting should go out there and dominate that game. But we know LA Galaxy didn't do that against Sacramento. You can lose if you don't go out there and take care of business. And I thought everybody on on Sporting, everybody that was out on the field really put in a good shift. Felipe was excellent. Scoring two goals, but I mean, you could go down the line. So many good performances. Caden Pierre, I thought, really had a had a good game as well. Um, but then, quick rebound, an early game, a noon kick in Seattle. That is tough. That is really difficult to go do on that heat. You know, talking to the guys, just how hot that that heat was. Your your feet were on fire. And granted, both teams had to play in the same condition, so it's not an excuse. It's just that quick turnaround and that long travel. And then for 70 minutes, Sporting were in a good spot. Gave away that goal in the first half, which you don't really want to do, but really didn't give up anything to Seattle in that time. Seattle was, I think, under 0.5 XG expected goals up until that 70th minute. It was a good performance up until then. And then I think the, just the emotions of the week and the travel from Nashville back to KC, then to Seattle, kind of caught up to, to the group. And as soon as that second one went in, you could kind of feel that and see that within the group. But I think there were a lot of good things up until that point. And if guys didn't have that that congested week, I think we're probably looking at a, a different scoreline there. But I still think there's that was a positive week and, and really something to build off of because you have to win your home games. We know that. But you also have to be better on the road. And I think lately, Sporting have, have shown now they – they know that, hey, we don't need to go make the game on the road. We just have to limit what we give up, and then we've got the attacking players to go make something special happen on the attacking end. Okay, so one of the things we also found out late last week is the draw um, for the, the last two rounds of the Open Cup. And for the first time during this journey, Sporting Kansas City are going to go on the road to Sacramento. Um, and Sacramento has been one of those, to me, one of those – when I get excited about American soccer, there's a lot of different things I could tell you that excite me. But one of them is how many different non-MLS markets seem to have really embraced soccer and have these great crowds. And, and, and it's like, OK, that's a soccer community there. Detroit City, we saw that um, with, with, with the crowds they had earlier in the competition. Sacramento's got to be at the top of the list. That is a it's a good environment. They have good fans there. How tough is that trip going to be for this team to uh, to go out to Sacramento and try to get to the finals? Well, you're talking about the biggest game in, in Sacramento's history, in their club's history. So it's going to be an atmosphere that is going to be raucous. They're going to have a sellout there. They're probably going to pack it even more so, have standing room only around the field. And it's a big moment, I think, for, for the sporting Kansas City players to go out there and really – I said this to you earlier, but 
Sacramento players, yes, some of them have played uh, in MLS or, or down in Mexico and other leagues to play in front of those type of crowds consistently. But the majority of those players don't play, haven't played in front of a crowd like that and certainly don't play in front of a crowd like that week in and week out. So in some ways, I, I think it's actually an advantage for sporting because there's a lot of pressure. Peter Vermees would always say this to us back, back in when I was playing here even, and we hosted some of these finals, MLS Cup final, Open Cup final. It Sometimes in, in the final and one-off, I know this is semi, but same, same type of thing, sometimes it's harder for the home team because you are the one that's expected to go out there and, and push the pace and to bring your fans into it. And the nerves can get to you a little bit. And, and the Sacramento team that's not used to playing like that, you know that they're going to come out flying. And But how do they balance that nervous energy versus, hey, that, that excitement, we're going to go out there and push the pace. And they were good, though, in, in that Galaxy game. I, I thought they were the better team um, consistently through that. And that was on the road. And Galaxy didn't have the type of atmosphere that Children's Mercy Park did mm-hmm. uh, for, for our quarterfinal game. But it was a good performance. There's no doubt that Sacramento have some guys who, who can beat you, guys who have played in MLS and had success. But, I mean, it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about that. But still, I think Sporting Kansas City players have to know that same thing as in this past game. If they show up, take care of – don't focus on, this, on the fans. Don't necessarily really worry too much about Sacramento. Focus on yourselves. You know that you have more talent than they do, but you've got to go out there and outwork them. And if they outwork them, they at least match them then they're going to be able to outplay them. Yeah, I mean, I think about some of the upsets that have happened. The one in L.A. with Sacramento, the two, Min- uh, the, the two Union Omaha upsets of MLS teams, those were in environments that were pretty dead. Yep. And I feel like, you know, I know that, that if you're listening to this, you might say, well, you're a professional, you should be fully up for every game that you play. But if you've ever worked out, you know there's some days when you got the energy to run through a wall, and there's other days where you got to drag yourself through the workout. And if you got somebody next to you screaming at you and getting you going or something that can kind of light that adrenaline under you, you're going to end up having a better workout. That crowd at Children's Mercy Park, I think, brought so much energy, and the Union Omaha fans too. You can see the sporting case. There was no drop-off from the sporting players. They were flying. And so hopefully that's the same thing. They're not going to go play in a stale environment and, and if you're a player, you'd rather play in that environment, right, than play in front of 3,000 people that, that are just kind of there to watch the game. Yeah, no-brainer, of course. And that's something that is, as a player here, and I've talked to you about this a bunch, but sporting set records for round of, whatever, 32 games, round of 16 games, quarterfinals, semifinals, for attendance when, when I was a player here. And, and it's that consistently the fans show up and they support, and the cauldron brings the energy, the south stand brings the energy, and you feel that, and that that impacts players, and that's why so many players love to, to play at this club. It's, yes, the, the facilities are great, everything, but if you don't have that fan support, and that on days when you might be, oh, man, I'm sore, we just played in Nashville, very hot game, Oh, what are we, am I really up for this? And then you hear, you walk out on that field and you see the fireworks, you you hear the cauldron chanting. I mean, if you can't get up for that, then, then get out of this game, right? And <laughs> But so many clubs around the league don't have that. That's why this is a special club. And 
you have to give credit to, to the fans for the role that they play in that. Okay, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Sporting Kansas City Director of Communications, Kurt Austin. All kinds of great stuff to cover with him. And then Jacob and I will break down this upcoming matchup against the New York Red Bulls on Sunday. That's right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. Sporting KC fans take pride in supporting the team both home and away. When flying to away matches to cheer on the team, or anywhere for that matter, check out the Kansas City International Airport's new terminal progress at buildkci.com. And we are back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content. And uh, we also thank our sponsor, the delicious Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And we are joined now by the Sporting Kansas City Director of Communications, Kurt Austin. Hello, Kurt. How are you? Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, this is kind of fun because we, we spent a lot of time the last couple of seasons doing this. We haven't done it as much this year as I've wanted to, so we're going to get back into it a little bit. And that is introducing important people in the organization to you, the viewer, and the listener. Because I think, you know, all of us that end up getting the chance to work in professional sports, and we, we all watched sports our whole lives growing up, you get in the business and then you realize how much is actually going on in the organization apart from what you see on the field and how much it all plays into the the organization and what it is. And so we want to introduce people like yourself to the audience, let them get to know you a little bit. So Director of Communications, how long have you been with the club? Started with the club back in 2010, so back when the team was still the Kansas City Wizards, playing over at Community American Ballpark, now Legends Field. First game I ever worked happened to be the friendly with Manchester United over at Arrowhead, 52,000 fans, which was quite the way to start. Wow. What was your job that day? I was a press officer for the club, so I uh, was fairly brand new, uh, just about 10 days in to working for the team. So Rob Thompson was still on the staff then, Dave Borchard, good friend of yours, uh, basically telling, uh, telling me what to do and following the direction. So you're like what, processing media credentials, lining up interviews, doing all those sorts of things? I remember one of the things I was tasked with was trying to get either Sir Alex Ferguson or one of the Manchester United players to give Kansas City Wizards a compliment about our style of play and <laughs> this great attacking, flowing style of soccer that we were playing, and uh, hopefully I did okay. I think we, we got something we were able to wordsmith a little bit out of. I was going to say, so uh, no pressure, kid, by the way. How old were you at that time? I was, gosh, probably 24. How did you get yeah. the job, by the way? What were you doing before that? How did you get the job? Gone to school to get a degree in journalism, University of Missouri in Columbia. I had stuck around there for a few extra years working with the women's soccer team, and then had covered the Kansas City Wizards off and on uh, for a variety of outlets online, and uh, got to know the PR staff that way, so... They had an opening, and I jumped at the chance. Your first day on the job, you got to get something from Sir Alice Ferguson. Were you nervous? I was, yeah. I think they'd had a press conference earlier in the week over at the Intercontinental where the team was staying, and so that was really my first big PR moment, and then the game, of course, and I uh, didn't know what I didn't know, right? Like, I had no <laughs> idea what I was getting into. Well, and, and now here, all these years later, how many different roles have you played with the club? Most of it's been in the PR department, but I know you also spent some time with the Swole Park Rangers uh, when they were first getting started up as well. How many different things have you done? Yeah, mostly on the PR staff, but did spend the one year uh, as a general manager of the Swope Park Rangers when they were launching in 2016 to get that project started. It's been great to see the, the growth of that team at the USL level and now in MLS Next Pro. Okay, so Kurt Austin, you, you were you a soccer fan 
your whole life. You said you went to, did you go to Missouri thinking, I just want to work in sports? What was your background in that regard? Yeah, I grew up going to a lot of the Kansas City Wizards games at Arrowhead. Happened to live across the street from the groundskeeper for Arrowhead at the time, so I ended up getting a lot of tickets thrown my way to oh, nice. check out some games. So I think that was really my first uh, introduction to the game and the introduction to the team that really sparked a lifelong passion. Uh, went to, to Mizzou, played on the club soccer team. They don't have a men's varsity soccer team, but got the chance to work on the women's side with their uh, PR staff and sports information department. And, Served as a graduate assistant for a couple years there, and then uh, started here in Kansas City. So you were you were that you were the, the SID for the women's soccer team at that time. As a student, yeah, there was yeah. a full time SID, and I yeah. supported her in my role as a student. Yeah. Did you get to travel with the team around? That yeah. would have been Big Twelve back in those days, right? It was, yeah. So I actually started off as a practice player on okay. the the women's team when I was playing for the club on the men's side, and then. Moved up from there to be an equipment manager, um, which got to travel with the team quite a bit, and then from there became a grad assistant and uh, helped uh, with video wow. and film for a couple of years. That's yeah. really cool. So then all of a sudden you, you get to work for the professional soccer team in your hometown, and your first job is to work Manchester United game. I still say that was, and I, I'm not I'm not by any stretch on an island with this, that was, that was one of the most fundamental moments in the history of the club. I mean, to me, that... That set almost everything that's come since in motion um, that day. I was, I was sitting in the fourth row yelling at the ref for, for giving our guy a red card, you know, in the game. But I was just a fan at that time. But how, how significant do you think that moment was? Yeah, that whole summer, really. It was the, the summer of soccer, I think, was a branding that the team went with. And it was the watch parties for the World Cup mm-hmm. there at Power and Light District that have mm-hmm. kind of become a every four-year tradition now. And then, yeah, having the, the friendly against Manchester United, the result obviously couldn't have dreamed that that would go our way especially with the circumstances in the yep. game, going down yep. a man. And then, yeah, from there, opening the stadium a year later, the rebrand at the end of the 2010 season, it's all kind of capturing that magic in a bottle. So uh, I wish it was a four-year tradition, but we missed out on the World Cup the next time, uh, which is a painful memory that I think we can start to push in the background now because the team is going back to the World Cup. We got this exciting young team. By the way, if you are listening to this, it's, it's crazy to me to think that it was that long ago, but yeah, eight years ago, those World Cup watch parties in the Power and Light District were unlike anything I had ever seen in Kansas City. And I had the chance to host a lot of the watch parties and pep rallies at the Big 12 tournaments, and if Kansas or Iowa State or one of the local schools is playing, you'll get as many people in there, but it wasn't the same. Those parties, had you ever, I mean, Everybody was there for the USA, and everybody was there, and the, and the team actually performed really well in those games. I mean, that was something I don't know that as a soccer fan I ever thought I'd see something like that in Kansas City. I can remember in the 2002 World Cup, which was jointly hosted by South Korea and Japan, mm-hmm. the games were in the middle of the night, I mean, yep. 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning kickoffs, and the Wizards would host watch parties over at the Pavilion right outside Arrowhead, and there'd be... I don't know, 50, 75 fans that would show up to those, and <laughs> that seemed great at 3 in the morning. Yeah. So to then go to yeah. the you know the thousands of people that were showing up throughout the summer of 2010, and again in 2014, and we should mention the Women's World Cups as well. Well, like that place for this. Yeah, t- 2019, and I know that the, the organization was really involved, the organization being Sporting Kansas City, was really involved in those watch parties in 2019 and making sure that Fox got here and, and sent that footage out to the whole world, and I don't know that any of us, did, did you anticipate that it would become what it was? Like, by the end of the World Cup, it was like the Power and Light District was the mascot for the United States women's national team. They showed us going into in and out of every break. Did you expect it to get that big, or were you surprised by the way that, 
that became kind of like this global phenomenon. I think you've got to give a lot of credit to the marketing department at Sporting Kansas City. There was a lot of planning and, and work that went into making that a really fun place to be in terms of the programming, certainly. The role you did up on stage, oh, all I think, plays sure. a part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to see it in a, in a national and international audience was incredible. Um, to be able to have the World Cup bid was very much in full steam at that point, so I think that certainly helped motivate fans to put Kansas City on a global stage and turn some eyes in terms of the soccer culture here in, in the city. Okay, so you've been really involved with this bid process, um, and it's been such a large group of people that were really involved. How would you describe your involvement? You know, what, what you've done over the past, how, and how many years you've been working on this, uh, this bid? It's been a long time coming. So the bid process started all the way back in 2017. There were 44 candidate host cities across the United States that were in consideration and contention to, to be part of the bid process. It's obviously now been narrowed down to the 11 U.S. cities that will host games in 2026. And it has been truly a collaborative effort across the city, across the state, having both state Missouri and Kansas being involved, Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas, both counties. Um, it's really been a tremendous team effort uh, led by the Sports Commission, Kathy Nelson, Catherine Holland, and a lot of people at Sporting Kansas City have worked a lot of a lot of hours, a lot of years uh, to be able to get us to this point, and extremely exciting now to, to know that we're officially a host city. Tell me, tell me what it was like, your perspective. That day, we were down in the PL a couple of weeks ago when the announcement came out. I think it's so cool to look at some of the photos and the videos that come out. You can just see truly the amount of joy that that announcement brought, not only the thousands of people that were there in the live block, but also the VIP watch party, watching Clark Hunt and Cliff Illig, and all of the people that have worked so hard to be able to get Kansas City to this point and to be able to get the soccer city to where it is now, being able to host a World Cup. Um, just seeing their reaction and the amount of joy that that announcement brought, I think that, that was really the most rewarding part. I want to know what it was like for you, though, in the moment, because you're yeah. one of those guys. We all are invested. We all that love the sport. I mean, I know I was nervous. You know, I, I was... I remember talking to the guys like, hey, if I'm going to be up on stage waving this flag, we better get this thing. And everybody kept telling me, look, we don't know. Like, we feel really good about it, but we're being honest with you. We really don't know. There was, of course, a one report, and that was it, one report that said we were getting it. And to me, working in media long enough now, I'm like, if there aren't a bunch of other people coming out to uh, back that report up and confirm it, I don't take that as like as it's just a slam dunk deal. So then they, they announced the Western region, and all of a sudden I start to think, well, if it's not the next one, we're not getting it. And there was just this little moment of almost not panic, but like all of a sudden I can't believe how nervous I really am because I was so confident going up to that. Were you nervous at all? Like what was going through your mind as a person? You invested a lot more of your time and energy in it than I did. What was going through your mind when you watched those names getting read up there? Yeah, extremely nervous, extremely excited about the opportunity that laid before us, but there aren't a lot of surprises in life. That was certainly one of them. Uh, we really didn't know how the format of the show was even going to go going into it the day of. Was it going to be, they put all the 16 host cities up at the very beginning, and there wasn't really much of a surprise <laughs> right. to it, and you had to be prepared for that possibility as well as the possibility that your name doesn't get called. Uh, we had everything prepared for, for both outcomes, and uh, thankfully we, we got the positive news we were hoping for. Yeah, the to, to back that up, the... We had the camera from Fox and they gave us, you know, they showed us a little bit with our celebration on TV. But just like back when the World Cup watch parties happened in 2019, the, it was the same guy running the camera from Fox. And he came over to me and said, hey, we're on about a 15 second delay uh, from what I'm sending back to them. So if, if they're going to come to us, I'm going to give you a heads up so you can get the crowd all excited so that it doesn't catch them off guard. And so when they started announcing the Midwest teams, I kept looking over at him thinking he's going to signal me before the name goes up there if it happens. And it was like 
the first name and he didn't signal me or anything. And so I was kind of looking at him and I heard Kansas. And before I could even hear city, the whole place had gone nuts. And I started running around waving flags. Everybody was celebrating. And then I ran over to Hartzell Gray and I said, they did say Kansas City, right? Because I wasn't fully sure that it all had happened. I mean, it was like, it was pandemonium, wasn't it? When it like, were you jumping up and down? Like, what were you doing? I was ecstatic, yeah. I was actually hiding out there in Pizza Bar, uh, working the, the keyboard. I had uh, control of the social media channels for the World Cup bit account on that day. And so I was trying to help get out the great news that Kansas City had just <laughs> been selected as a host city. How do you even decide? So like, how do you decide what you're even going to put out there? Um, and which, what social media channels were you working at that time? Yeah, so KC 2026 World Cup is the account that we've got on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. So just We had graphics prepared for both outcomes. We had a thank you Kansas City graphic in case the news didn't come. <laughs> that the World You don't want to send that one out. No, but uh, <laughs> you had to be ready because, yeah. as you've talked about, we did not know going into the day. Uh, we certainly thought having Fox there was a good sign. Yeah, well, we'd like to think that you know they were not going to send a, a <laughs> right. camera out to watch a, right. a sad reaction. Um, but, yeah. but thankfully, everything turned out the way that it did. We got some incredible videos, incredible images, and it's memory, memory that I think all of us will have for a long, long time. All right, so I think that's interesting, the, the social media aspect of things, because I find myself, you know, I've got all the social media things that I feel like I'm supposed to post if I'm going to promote this or promote that or, or whatever. But a lot of times I find myself thinking, I'm going to miss the moment if I'm busy in my phone trying to post videos and edit captions and all these types of things. Um, did you feel like you still got the full sense of everything that happened while you were buried in a keyboard trying to get, get the message out to everybody? Yeah, it's funny. We talked about starting when I did with the club in 2010. I'd been on the reverse side of it. In 2010, we had a watch party down at the 810 zone there on the plaza which at that point, Kansas City was guaranteed to get host games if FIFA had awarded the World Cup to the United States. In reality, there was a huge surprise. The announcement was made that World Cup was going to Qatar, not to the United States. And that was the exact opposite feeling in terms of the spectrum of emotions. That was Everybody felt really confident going into that day that it was an early morning breakfast uh, announcement. We thought great news was coming. Kansas City was going to be hosting the World Cup in 2018, 2022. There was a joint bid going on, and the uh, United States had kind of moved their eggs into the 2022 basket. And when, when Qatar came out as the announcement, it was a deflating news. I mean, it was a deflating day. Mm -hmm. um, so now, to fast forward to a couple weeks ago to be able to have that announcement and turn out the way that it did, like, uh, put everything full circle. All right, so what do the next four years look like for you? <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun, right? I mean, I mean, I think a lot of work and a lot of fun. For I mean, all of us like, in soccer, yeah. for all of us in Kansas City, yeah. there's a lot to be done, uh, yeah. no doubt about it. We're you know less than two weeks into a four-year planning process um, to be able to bring the World Cup to Kansas City, hoping to get you know four, five, six games over at Arrowhead Stadium. It's an incredible opportunity, but there's a lot of work that does need to go into that um, to be able to make that a possibility for Kansas City, and there's a, a lot of people working on it. All right, so you said four, five, six. We don't, we still don't know, right? And it's going to be a while before we do? We or? don't, yeah. So there's going to be an, anticipating 60 games being held in the United States over 11 host cities. So you do the math. You know, you're hoping that ranges mm -hmm. out somewhere five or six. If you look back at previous World Cups, I think every World Cup since 2006, each host city has gotten at least four games. And there's more games like the this time around, so... There are, you'd like to think, yeah, more yeah. games, more teams. Um, mm -hmm. How that all shakes out, you know, we haven't even played this year's World Cup yet. Got to go through the qualification process for 2026. We'll see how it all lands, but it's uh, incredibly exciting for, for Kansas City to be able to get these games. That's one of the things that kind of hit me a little bit because I've had a lot of people ask me, well, what teams will come here? And I was like, well, we don't even know what teams will be in the World Cup yeah. it, because... We didn't know the United States was going to be in this World Cup till just a couple of months ago, right? So it could be the year of 
the World Cup when we actually find out what teams are coming here? Yeah, the final burst for this year's World Cup were just locked up during the playoff window here yeah. earlier this month in June. So it is really until that, that draw takes place, you know, six months prior to the World Cup has been the tradition. We'll see where that lands on the calendar for 2026. But uh, it'll make watching qualification, I think, that much more fun over the next four years to know that some of these teams could end up in Kansas City. Okay, so when you say you're two weeks into a four-year process, I think about my own life, and if something's four years away, I'm going to prioritize all the other things that I've got going on in my life. And, yeah, I'm planning it, but I'm not really doing anything. Just watching the way you guys handle this World Cup bid, I get the sense this really is going to be a four-year planning. Like, you guys are working on it now. So what's, like, are you an, like who do you answer to? Who's, who's giving you instructions and things to work on right now? And maybe what are, what are some of the things you guys are already talking about? Yeah, so it's already happened pretty quickly. So the announcement was on a Thursday evening over at the Power and Light District. By that weekend, on Sunday, there was already a host city workshop going on in New York that Kansas City sent a delegation of people to. It included Sporting Kansas City Vice President Josh Blackford. Josh has really taken the lead from a training sites and team base camps perspective, working with all the various venues that we've secured here in Kansas City um, as part of that World Cup bid. Catherine Holland, of course, was there. So there's going to be more information coming out in the days and, and weeks ahead that come out of that host city workshop, but that was really kind of the immediate action items for the blocking and tackling that's going to take place here in the very real uh, near future. I think what you said, and once again we're visiting with uh, Kurt Austin and what you said about how exciting it is, when we were celebrating that night, I, I, was, I was around all these people that now know their, their lives are going to be really busy. They're going to be working a lot and they were celebrating that fact. Like you didn't say, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. You said, oh, this is going to be really fun because it's how much it matters to you. And that's the whole key, right, is having a group of people that have that mindset that, that care this much, not only about soccer, but about the city of Kansas City. Yeah, it made the, the announcement, I think, that much more enjoyable in the sense it was a culmination of five years of hard work, but it was also kind of a kicking off point for the next four years of work that was to come, all leading up to 2026. And I think the goal, too, is that the legacy of this World Cup shouldn't just be about 2026, right? right. It should be about 2027 and beyond so that the World Cup comes here. It really does leave you know, a lasting impact on Kansas City and on soccer here in the region. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, that's what I tell everybody. I'm, I, the, this, the landscape of sports in this city will fundamentally change because of this news. But do you think we even really have a full grasp on what that means or how it's going to like how it's going to look? I try to picture it and I'm like, I don't think I really even fully get it until it gets here. Yeah, I mean, for anybody that's been to a World Cup, it, have for, you? For me it was a life-changing experience. Yeah, I've, I've been to a few. I went 2006 was my first World Cup in Germany and wow. I swore I'd never miss another World Cup after. Wow. I mean, to go from where soccer was in the United States at that point in yeah. time, it's certainly grown a lot over the last 20 years. Were you but working or did you go as a fan? Just went as a fan. Yeah. And to be immersed in Germany, of course, great destination, great soccer yeah. culture to begin with. You throw that into the World Cup and it just is that on steroids. Um, and then to be able to go to the World Cup again in 2010, South Africa, a very different location, very different yeah. culture. And each World Cup trip I've been on has kind of been a different experience based on who you go with. In 2006, yeah. I went with some buddies that were more about just going to sightseeing, having a party, having a good time, enjoying the World Cup. 2010, I went with one of my soccer teammates, so we went to more soccer games than I've probably ever been to in that span of time, watched every game on TV. 2014, I went to Brazil with my wife, so it was more of just a nice vacation uh, for the two of us, sprinkled in with going to some U.S. games, and then had the chance to go to the Women's World Cup final in 2015 with my dad, which was a memory that I'll, I'll never forget. And wow. Being able to watch the U.S. lift the World Cup trophy. I haven't been to one yet, but I'm about yeah. to. You know, I'm four They're years. Incredible. I just got to stay alive for four years, man. I'm going to be gotta there. Get you to Qatar in November. Oh, God, that would be something. You know, I don't know how reasonable that is, but if I'm not in Qatar and I, I'm, I'm planning on being 
in the Power and Light District because those watch parties are going to be epic uh, with Wales and England and Iran coming up and, you know, England on Black Friday and everything. It's just going to be amazing. Kurt, you know, I, I want to tell this story really quickly before uh, before we go, because I think what you're picking up on here, too, is every time I ask Kurt a question about himself, he, he deflects it to other people. You have people in the organization and any good organization that just seem to have zero interest in getting credit for the things that they do. And they're dedicate themselves to propping other people up and helping other people shine. And I think the entire communications department at Sporting Kansas City does that for the players here all the time. But even somebody like me, you know, I get to live out a childhood dream last weekend or two weekends ago now calling a game for Fox that happens to also be my my hometown team. And while I'm calling that game, I'm getting text messages from Kurt Austin and Sam Kovson with amazing statistical nuggets and pieces of information that there's no way I would even know how to look up, let alone think of. And they're relevant to the game. And I was able to get on the talkback button and and send these notes to the producer and the director at Fox, who I'm trying to impress. I want them to think I'm doing a good job. And they're like, oh, wow, this is incredible. This is great. And and Kurt and Sam are doing it, not asking me to tell the story on the air or anything like that. And I just I just think it's it's is important for people to hear those stories. And, and that's what you guys do, man. And um, the, the, the club's really lucky to have people like you. So th- and, and the city is, too, for all the work you've done to try to help grow the sport in, in, a, in a major way that's coming up. I think that's part of what made the World Cup bid process so special. Is you've got a lot of people that are local to Kansas City that are natives here that have worked on this bid process. Yeah. Catherine Holland, Kathy Nelson, yeah. both born and raised in Kansas City. Chad Reynolds has been instrumentally involved in everything from the very beginning with the bid process. He's a Kansas City, Kansas mm-hmm. native. So it, it's certainly an incredibly exciting opportunity for everyone in Kansas City, but I think for those that have been here from the beginning to see how far the city's come, how far the soccer culture's come, makes it that much more rewarding. And, and we love to see Kansas City people succeeding on the national stage. It's cool you had the opportunity with Fox. I think it's amazing that Ali Trost right now as yeah. this is airing yep. is out in Salt Lake City working yep. the U.S. Women's National Team match against Columbia for yeah. U.S. soccer. So it's really cool to see people that are incredibly talented, incredibly good at their jobs get these awesome national opportunities. Yeah, go Ali. That's why she's not here today. Uh, she's, she's in Salt Lake City for the U.S. Women's National Team and of course that's incredibly well deserved. She's doing great. Well, Kurt, keep up the great work, man, and uh, you know, try to get squeeze some sleep in at some point over the next four years if you can, all right? Thanks I know he's a busy family guy too. Kurt Austin, we're gonna take a break when we come back. We'll preview this matchup against the New York Red Bulls as Jacob Peterson rejoins us right here on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and wherever you get your podcasts and stream your video content presented as always by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Rejoined by the answer Jacob Peterson as we get ready for a Sunday night matchup. 7 o'clock. It's going to feel like a Saturday night though because the 4th of July is the next day. So come on out. Get your tickets at SportingKC.com All kinds of festivities. It's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be a big matchup. It's got the potential of being the preview of a U.S. Open Cup rematch final as Sporting KC, if they were to advance, and if New York are to advance, if they both win their semifinal games, the Open Cup final would be here. And that was, of course, the the Open Cup final in 2017 as well. But uh, we know we're going to get this matchup on Sunday night, Jacob. 
New York play Thursday night this week, so that's going to be a quick turnaround for them. You talked about Sporting having to do that this past weekend uh, in Seattle. My picture in my mind of the New York Red Bulls, the system that they've played is car crashes all over the field. Uh, you never get your chance to get your foot on the ball and string four or five passes together because it seems like every single ball, someone's crashing into somebody, especially when sporting play against the Red Bulls because sporting are such an aggressive, high, you know, you know, highly motivated team as well. Um, everything's fought for through the course of the game. Is that is that the kind of game we could see again? Is that what the Red Bulls are like again this year? Or, you know, what, what are we looking at this time around? Yes. Okay. They, <laughs> if you are a fan of the Red Bulls, then you like it because they're successful and they're good at doing what they do. But if you're just a partial, impartial fan, it's, man, it is just tackle after tackle, pressing, pressing. They don't necessarily want to build out. They want to put the ball in to the channels, not necessarily long ball, but they want to be direct. And they are right up the middle, basically the whole way, which, I mean, I think this stat, it, it, perfect. In their Open Cup game against NYCFC, um, at home, Red Bull Arena, Red Bulls win that game 3-0, right? And possession stats aren't everything, but uh, they go up a man. The Red Bulls go up a man there. And they still had 57% passing accuracy, which for the for <laughs> those out, I mean, if you're up a man and you're under 80% passing accuracy, you think, hey, we weren't good with the ball today. Yeah. Red Bulls don't care. They do not care if they have the ball at all. They just want to be direct, which is exciting, which is why they, they've, they've been on a little skid here on the road. I think they've lost their last three, but they started off. 5-0 and on the road because they are such a difficult team to play. And, yes, you could look at it. You can scout them, try to break them down. But ultimately the one thing that, that you need to have when you play against the Red Bull is that fight and that, that willingness to commit to every challenge and to be good with the ball because if you aren't, they're going to come in there, they're going to press, they're going to pick you off, and then they're immediately going to go directly to your goal. So it, it's a challenge. There's no doubt about that. But – um, coming off of that short rest, I think that'll help sporting just because in that system it's so much running and it's physically demanding. So we'll see kind of how the Red Bulls approach that. Atlanta's probably the bigger game for them being a, you know, within their own conference. But, I mean, who knows exactly what lineup we're going to see. But it, it's a dangerous team. And really in the offseason they, they made two huge acquisitions in bringing Lewis Morgan and Luquinas Two players, who Lucinius, five goals, two assists, and Morgan's got seven goals and two assists to lead the team. And those really their two offensive weapons. And Morgan's like a wingback, but he hmm. gets forward so much and is big time trade too coming over from Miami. So they're dangerous, but and it is it is you nailed it. Car crash after car crash. So you gotta be up for it in the midfield, right? Like you gotta be able to fight for every ball, but also can you find moments in a game against those guys that if you're able to be clean on the ball, you can force them to run a little more than they want to? Well, you can, yeah. But you got to be think, good on the ball, yeah, right? Yeah, you have to be good on the ball. And New York City, actually, they were pretty good on the ball, and but they still lost 3-0. So it doesn't, yeah. doesn't really matter how, how much possession you have at the end of the day against the Red Bulls because they're so dangerous when they do win it. But you have to move them with the ball, and you have to try to manipulate them, move it side to side. And you have to be good, especially on those first two to three passes. 
when they lose the ball, when the Red Bulls lose the ball, that counter press is immediate. And it's not just one guy. It's the whole team that goes. And they have the runners who can go out there. So those first two or three passes, if you're sporting, have to be crisp, have to be clean. And you have to switch it. That's where you get it because they're so drawn in to the ball. And they all go, the Red Bulls. So you have to have... Don't want to keep it locally and try to pass it out of there because they're going to win it back for me. It's got to be one, two, and then look for that big switch to relieve pressure there, maybe to the outside fullback or the outside winger if you're sporting. But it, it's going to be – that's going to be such an important part of the game plan. Like I said, the, and I give them credit, but I would I would not want to play for a team like that, but I give them credit because they really do make it hard to play against them. Yeah, and, and they just keep finding energy. It's like they, they just keep going. That's why Tyler Adams seemed like the perfect guy when he was in their system. Cause he, he Unintended could, on that, right? Energy yeah. and uh, Red Bull. Yeah. Maybe it's just all the Red Bull they drink. I don't know. I don't know how they do. You think they, you'd think they'd get dehydrated with that much caffeine, but uh, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a dietitian or a trainer. So <laughs> we'll see. It, it's going to be a fun game. I, I'll tell you that much. It's going to be a hotly contested game and a lot of fun. So get on out there, sportingkc.com. Get your tickets. And we'll see you or watch us and listen to us uh, at 7 o'clock on Sat- uh, Sunday night. Sunday We're night. We're back after a long break from broadcasting. Yeah, there, there we go. Yeah, we're finally back on television here on the Sporting KC app. And, of course, 38 The Spot as well as Sports Radio 810 WHB. So that's going to do it for us, for our man Kurt Austin, and for the newly engaged Juwan Bush. We're happy for that guy. He's been running the show today. And Jacob Peterson, this is Nate Bucati saying thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.